Welcome to the Old Past Podcast. I'm Pastor Benjamin Hicks, and I'm joined today by my dear a good friend and brother, Pastor Steve Richardson. Steve, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, uh, I am uh, well, an ordained minister with the Vanguard Presbytery, currently teaching at King Alfred Academy in uh, Waterloo, Ontario. Wonderful, brother. And uh, the reason that I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to speak together this evening is because uh, suddenly everyone is talking about revival. Um, and uh, for those of, of you who either came to the Church at War conference this fall or, or heard the, the messages, that they'll know that you preached a sermon on the revival. And I don't know, maybe some people when they came to the Church at War conference were expecting the first sermon to take a different note, but the way you, you took uh, that sermon was to focus everyone upon the need for the work of God, um, uh, upon the need for the God to work in our generation by reviving his church and, and people, and that we really needed to be praying for that much more than any political change or uh, problem that's in our society. And in recent weeks, we've seen um, a lot of talk about that subject, Um as a result of some of the things that we've seen at Asbury University. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll just put it to you. When you think about um, the, the issue of Asbury and uh, the things that are happening and some of the response that you've seen from, uh, let's say, Canadian pastors, uh, what, what, are, what do you reflect upon? What, what do you think about the kind of sense about this in uh, our context? Well, I, it's a bit of a mixed, uh, a mixed bag. Uh, as I've as I've watched uh, the response to it, I've seen some in ru some rushing to embrace the movement as um, uh, very obviously a revival, uh, and I'm not there. Um, I, I have reasons to be hesitant to to want to wait and see. Um, but there have been many others who've been who've rushed to. Um, uh, crit criticize the uh, the movement and to dismiss it as definitely not a revival. Um, and and um, what what I'm curious about is the, the the criticisms that it's for example it's uh, um, a whole lot of emotionalism um, and um, some have criticized it because well this is not a well it's a Wesleyan school I understand is that correct a Wesleyan school yeah um, from that tradition certainly. And so I've wondered, I've, I've privately wondered, I mean, if this was happening at a uh, stalwart reform seminary and they were singing psalms, uh, would, uh, would the same criticisms be leveled at this, at this movement? Um, saying that, I'm not saying, I'm not defending it as, as a revival, but uh, I am surprised at the, um, how quick men are to criticize what's happening as if what's happening is... Um, is not worthy of at least interest uh and 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 i think um as some commendation i mean we have we have a group of people who have been praying and worshiping god for a number of days and uh certainly unusual isn't it 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 is i mean i remember um watching some of the discussion in one of the signal chats i'm a part of and um and in sarcasm someone asked are, are we saying can nothing good come from asbury you know kind of echoing the uh the biblical line there and um yeah i i felt um similar to you brother i mean um 
now i uh for for my own perspective right um i probably would not send anyone or recommend someone go to this particular school just because my own convictions and my own views on on worship and doctrine are, are not in line with the wesleyan movement and and not in line with um some of the things that go on there at the same time i have a i have a love for the for the broader evangelical world and um i'm i'm very hesitant to um to want to cast aspersions on something like this i think that um i would want certainly to say that where there are problems where there are errors we can we can talk about that right but is it um, immediately with a view to dismissing it? That's that's really my concern because I think we we ought to want to say that even if there are problems, if 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 I believe, for example, that the doctrine of the worship, that there are things that aren't in accord with the Scripture, can we say that God can't work in that context, even in an amazing way? And right. is is there even a bit of a, of a pride there where God only works within the reform camp because we've got the pure worship, because we've got the, the pure preaching yeah. and so on and uh, that 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 does concern me you know it is typical in revival that god comes often well, unexpectedly and and doesn't always um deal where people and how people would expect him to work so not only are is the revival unexpected but um it, it it happens among people who are perhaps not the first on the list of those we would expect that God would revive. Um, so th this group of people um, may not check off a lot of boxes for you and I and for a lot of other people in the reform world, but perhaps there's a measure of humility there that isn't in our circles. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a possibility. But I, I certainly think that uh, the very least that we can get from this as we look on what's happening is perhaps take a, a little bit of a rebuke from what's happening and say, okay, here's a group of people, whatever is going on here, um, they're, they're doing a lot of praying. Um, they seem to be interested in God. They seem to be hungry for him. Now, there may be a lot of uh, confusion. There may, they may be misguided in some areas. As you said, there may be, if we investigate, find some things that are, are concerning to us both. Um, but I think we ought to start off by saying these people are showing a measure of thirst and desire for God that is not seen nearly enough in our circles. Mm. And I, I, I love that, that emphasis, brother, because um, I, I think the purpose of this podcast is not to say that we are a, an authority on what's happening in Asbury. I mean, I did not know this university existed. I have no ill will towards them whatsoever. I, um, and uh, at the same time, I, I don't want to endorse everything that's happened. I simply don't know. Um, uh, but I think that the, the question then becomes, if this is what it takes that we talk about revival, right? Are we, uh, are we those who are mainly preoccupied with debunking or disproving whether this or that is a revival? Or is our primary occupation searching our own hearts and searching our, our own churches? And asking the question, um, are, are we a people who, who desire the work of God, right? Are we grieving the spirit in, in different ways such that, um, yeah, that we're, that we're actually hampering the, the work of God? Um, and are we just thinking unbiblically about this or, or not in accord with how godly men of old have, have thought about it? That's really what I want this discussion to be. So I wanted to talk for, for some time about that. And, um, 
maybe if 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 I can take the discussion a bit in that way, can I can I ask you this question? Because um, you I've heard you preach about about revival a number of times uh, in in different reform pulpits, and I I can I can tell brother this this is something that the Lord has laid on your heart, and I've I've benefited from that. I think that um, in in my in my own life I don't nearly desire that as much as I, as I want to, and as much as I should. And it's, it's challenged me to think more about it, but how, how did that happen in your, in your own life? Obviously um, it is something that, that is, is dear to your heart. So how did that uh, become something that the, the Lord laid there? I, I was, uh, I'd been married for just a short time and I came across a book, a man handed it to me. Uh, and said, you need to read this. And it was a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, I believe I was on page one or two, and I was uh, compelled to get on my knees and begin to pray. Um, so that book was a life-changing book. And then shortly after reading Why Revival Tarries, I came across this website called Sermon Index and uh, discovered uh, the uh, account of the revival in the Hebrides uh, given by Duncan Campbell. And listening to him... Uh, speak of what he experienced uh, was so compelling. I listened to it actually again and again and uh, found myself uh, from that point on just a, a, a desire and a hunger for that to, to be something that we would be able to see in our own generation uh, was birthed in me. But I, I wonder if uh, anyone watching this podcast might um, be wondering why why revival is necessary. I've heard people say, uh, well, we have, as you mentioned a moment ago, we have the ordinary means of grace. Why not be content with that? Uh, what all, what's all the fuss about revival? Um, and I, I have uh, this, um, uh, this excerpt from a book that I came across that I'd love to share, uh, if that'd be okay. Absolutely. So this, is, this is a book, um, uh, it's called... Um, the Revival of Religion, it's uh, addresses by Scottish evangelical le uh, leaders delivered in Glasgow in 1840. Uh, the excerpt that I'm going to read was, uh, it, it comes from a man by the name of John uh, Bonar. And uh, I would commend this book as probably the best book on the subject that money can buy. Um, there are a lot of good books on revival, but um, this is far and away my favorite. Page uh, 32, um, the very first lecture, John Bonner said this, not only is it, speaking of revival, not only is it full of blessing, but it is absolutely necessary. The work of revival must begin and must go on. People speak of it as a thing which may or may not be, which, though they distantly wish they can yet do without. Why, what do people mean? What is a revival but multiplied conversions? What is a revival but living Christianity? If we can do without conversion, if we can do without Christ, if we can do without regeneration, if our children can do without these, if our friends and neighbors can do without these, then may we do without a revival. But if conversion is necessary, if regeneration is necessary, if salvation is necessary, then is a revival necessary? Ah, my friends, we have not understood what it is for souls to perish. We have not understood what is the meaning of the souls of our children perishing. 
of the souls of our neighbors perishing, of unconverted men and women and children dying in their sins, else we could not cease to pray and to labor till the windows of heaven were opened and the Lord rained righteousness on the people and saving health in all our families. Mm -hmm. So basically saying revival is not something we can merely sit back and say, well, that would be nice, but we can live without it, but rather something that is absolutely necessary. And the, the thing that terrifies me, brother, and um, like regardless of what one thinks about this or that instance, right? Uh, what terrifies me is is what I sense certainly in, in some Reformed churches is a, a sort of complacency that um, that the 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 measure of spiritual health and the measure of evident conversions and the the measure of um, gospel impact is such that that we are content, right? And I think that what you're saying, reading from that, is that we we ought not to be content. That the state of the church is not good. That um, even in in the reformed churches, that there may on the surface be, yeah, we've got uh, we've got the worship the way we we think it should be. We've got our membership the way it should be. We're able to keep the doors open. We're able to to do these things, um, but the the Lord would would do so much more for us. Uh, the Lord would have his church to be um, experiencing so much more of, of his power evidenced in, in the church. And um, the question then becomes, right, do we actually want that, right? Is there something about hearing people on fire for the Lord, right? And we hear about people wanting to stay all through the night, you know, uh, through these worship services, and there's a bit of an indictment because we know that you can be in a, in a church where people will complain about a 40-minute sermon is too long or they'll complain um, about other things. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. And it, the, the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, he said, in revival, time does not exist. Mm -hmm. And um, a common feature of revival is that people uh, do not want to leave the meetings. They have to be told to leave because they're so hungry uh, for God. There's a there's a sense of the manifest presence of God as it's as if he has stepped down and uh, they, they do not want to uh, go back to the ordinary. So um, I think you're right. I think as we look at something like this, uh, even from the comfort of our own homes, uh, how would we really like to be shaken up ourselves so that we are setting aside all the ordinary things that we take delight in uh, to give ourselves utterly to prayer and to worship? Um, and sometimes I think you're right. I think there's just not a real appetite for such things. Hmm. So um, let's uh, certainly if, if, uh, if you want to take it in a, in, um, in a direction of going deeper, that, I think that would be good. But uh, I think maybe in case we've lost someone, maybe you can just uh, pinpoint for us. What do you think about when you think about revival? You've talked about these marks of it, right? Uh, uh, an excitement about the things of God, the time not not um, being a factor because people just love the worship of God so much, right? Are, are you saying this is something completely different from the normal working of the Holy Spirit, or or is it uh, is it a greater measure of what He ordinarily does? 
Yeah, it is an extraordinary event, but it is a it is the ordinary being multiplied um, beyond our imagining. Uh, it is uh, so. It's not that something is happening um, that doesn't normally happen. People are being converted as they are being converted now, but converted on a level that we've never seen. Um, people who are bearing fruit, they're growing in holiness, but now they're growing uh, rapidly. And um, people are coming under conviction of sin. And uh, it's not a perhaps mild conviction, but profound conviction of sin and lives being turned around. Uh, so I see revival as on one hand, it is a miracle. It's extraordinary. The results are extraordinary, but the it, it is the ordinary multiplied. Hmm. Very good. And um, so, uh, so, so that's, that's what we're yearning for. Right. And um, so let me, let me ask you this question, right? Um, When, uh, when I was reading a a solid uh, reform Baptist uh, website that I frequently uh, read, they, they were calling into question whether this is a reasonable expectation, right? So they were saying that they don't see in the Bible that there's a, a specific promise to do this, right? That the Lord would do extraordinary works, right? They want to reduce things to, well, you've got the um, the ordinary means of grace. You've got the uh, ordinary working of the spirit. Um, and they were saying, well, this is more a feature of you get these characters like Jonathan Edwards who expected it because they had a particular way of, of, of reading eschatology and prophecy um, and so, yeah, if we if we disagree with with them, right? If we disagree with uh, their way of interpreting prophecy, we can dispense with revival, right? If someone someone is really there, right? That might be a bit extreme to where they don't they don't have a category for it. Is there somewhere in the Bible you you would go, or or some or something you would um, you would do in order to impress upon them? This is a real thing. This is a real thing. I mean, you could uh, maybe I'll, I'll ask that. Well, I mean, I think the evidence, biblically speaking, is that God has filled the scriptures with promises of what he will do when his people call upon his name, when they ask. And so the the problem very often, and God himself has said it, that we have not because we ask not. And so the, the pictures often in scripture um, are of these days to come of glorious outpourings of the spirit god coming down like rain upon mown grass um the cry of the prophet isaiah is that god would rend the heavens and come down but then the the problem is the concern that is presented is who are the people where are the people who will stir themselves to take hold of god um so there's always this tension between the fact that there's this promise but then the reality that the people of god are often not asking uh, for God to do what he has promised himself to do. So whether or not, I know there's always going to be debate about um, our eschatology. So whether or not we we believe some great revival is in the future or not, um, uh, we what we ought to agree is that we need revival desperately. And um, perhaps the best, um, I brought a few books with me for this conversation on, on that note there's a, a glorious book by richard owen roberts called uh revival 
just just revival. And in this book, he has he begins by defining what revival is, and uh, and then he has a a chapter which is called "When is revival needed?" I think that if your average uh, if your viewer were to read first what it is, and then when it's needed, would ha- would be compelled to conclude we desperately need revival now. Mm. Um, so. And, and that's that's uh, I mean, my my go to would be to recommend a book like that. But um, the, the, the need is when we look at the state of the nation and then we consider the state of the churches and the, 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 the scarcity with which we are seeing conversions typically and um, the um, the lack of appetite for prayer. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about Ashbury the other day or Asbury that you've got these people who are meeting for prayer and people meeting for prayer in and of itself does not mean there's a revival. Uh, we should pray, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's revival, but it is interesting to me that, um, as we look at that, that is already so unusual, hmm. so unusual that people are saying, well, there's a revival there. So, so it's so, it's so unusual for people to seek God like this. And, and, and that to me is a bit of an indictment on the church. Not that we need to have, all of us um, meetings that go on day after day after day. But even to see a church like that crowded and to know that they were like that at five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, um, that is an indictment, I think, on many of us. It, it absolutely is, brother. And and I just, you know, I, I love, I, you know, I love um, all our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and I love um, certainly our, our uh, those were we have close kinship w- with theologically right but if if that doesn't strike at the heartbeat of where we're at right that we're not content with with a kind of uh, moderate kind of christianity right I ju- then i just worry a little bit right now um i've thought a lot about that right i mean you do have um i think when you when you look at something like the book of acts right what you see are things that are extraordinary, right? You have um, you have a man, uh, Peter, right, who on the day of Pentecost is preaching a sermon and 3,000 people added on one day, right? And you see the same thing in, in Samaria as the gospel goes there. You see... Um, you see the economies of, of these Greek cities disrupted as... Uh, as people who make the idols are converted, right? And suddenly people are are agitated because these Christians are are causing a, a disruption. And I think the, the the fear is that so many people in Canada today, right, they may not even know that, that that gospel churches even exist, right? There's not a disruption. There's not an evident work mm. of the of the Lord, right? And for myself, if people are 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 struggling with that, I would just say, uh, if you read through the prophecy of Isaiah, right, and you read through the trajectory of the prophet as he's thinking not only about the people in exile, but he's also thinking of the new covenant and what the new covenant means. And the new covenant is the era of the spirit, and it's and it's the solution to the 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 heart of the of the Lord's people that is grieved by the lack of evident work by uh, the, the lack of the evident work of God in to vindicate his people and to um, scatter the enemies of the Lord. 
and to advance the kingdom, right? So I'm, I'm just going to read just a, a, a few verses, right? And and because uh, I, I know that that you've you've uh, uh, cited this a number of times, and I want to to just see how this connects with some of the things you're talking about in Isaiah 63. And I want to read from verse 15 to the beginning of 64. Look down from heaven and behold from the habitation of thy holiness and thy glory. Where is thy zeal and thy strength, the sounding of thy bowels and of thy mercies toward me? Are they restrained? Doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us and Israel acknowledge us not. Us not. Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and harden our hearts from thy fear? Return for thy servant's sake, the tribes of thine inheritance. The people of thy holiness have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down the sanctuary. We are thine Thou never, never bearest rule over them. They were not called by thy name. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thy adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. And it goes on, right? But the... I think that it's hard to read those things and not see how it speaks exactly to our own day, right? Now, there's a sense in which even in the darkest of, of times spiritually, every uh, every believer knows uh, the Lord's presence in his life in some measure. If there's no spiritual life, then it's just not a Christian. But I think we also know that there are, there are times in which the, 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 that is more... Um, evident and more experienced than others, right? There's times of more spiritual darkness, more spiritual forsakenness from our perspective. And the the yearning is both for ourselves, for our families, for our churches, that that would be evident, that he would come down and visit us. Yes. And 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 for me, I think this is this is what we need to be so sensitive to, because one of the, the signs of, I think, the Lord's judgment is there just isn't that yearning for it anymore, right? There's there's um, there's not a sensitivity to to um, to areas where the, the Lord has withdrawn his favor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, the, the, there's this um, beautiful little book by a man named Ellsworth, and it's called, I believe it's uh, Come Down, Lord. Um, and uh, he deals with that very text of scripture. And he begins by saying, uh, we need to go to God and tell him we miss you. I mean, that that mm. is, I felt uh, so moved when I read those words that if we come to a realization that God, though he is omnipresent, is in some measure with withdrawn he has removed the hand of blessing from us from many of our churches and we are not enjoying the manifest presence that many of our forefathers enjoyed that we would then begin to to ache for that and to desire it and so perhaps on one hand part of the problem is that people are not familiar with what revival is they think of a meeting 
maybe rather than uh, a supernatural work of God. They think of um, something that is uh, purely, purely uh, emotional rather than something that results in life lasting fruit. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I think, I think you and I would both agree that a lot of problems have come from calling things revivals that, um, that, 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 that are not worthy of it. So we think of someone like Charles Finney, right? Mm-hmm. And this would be someone who had a whole technique for how you could create revivals, right? And, and it, it is a very kind of man-centered kind of thing. And you can, you can see why someone who says, yes, revival is important, they would then say, well, if we follow this step and that step and the other step, then voila, there we have it, right? It, it, it winds up corrupting doctrine. It winds up corrupting preaching. It winds up corrupting worship. And then, you know, you get another generation that comes afterward in the, the aftermath of some of those things and then says, well, we just want to be through with the whole, the whole thing. We don't need to think about it, right? Um, I, I've, I've not re- read it deeply, but I know that uh, Ian Murray wrote that book, uh, Revival and Revivalism, trying to sort out uh, what, is the, what is the difference between those. Yeah, it's a, that's a tremendous book. And I, I think it's important for us just to make that distinction between uh, something that is organized by men and something that is uh, done by purely and only by God. So revivalism is when, when people are seeking to stir something up themselves. It's, it's man-made, man-driven. Revival is when God himself steps down. Um, so there's a world of difference between them. You can announce a revival meeting you can say we're going to have a revival meeting on at seven o'clock on Thursday night, and uh, expect people to come and hope they'll come. Um, but when when God steps down, it's of His own time. It's of His own, all in, in, in His uh, hands, all of His accord. And so um, this is what I meant by, earlier by saying things are unexpected. God doesn't have to deal with the uh, uh, people who cross all the T's as we think they should, he, they, he should perhaps, um, if he wants to, uh, come down in the midst of a, uh, a humble group of Arminians, uh, then he will. And if he wants to revive you in your home or me in my home, just, just ourselves, he can do so. And he, so revival is something that can happen to an individual. It can happen to a church. It can happen to a community, a nation. Um, but, it is certainly not something that we can conjure up. Yes. I, I think, I think that's so important, brother. And, and obviously that, um, you know, when we're lo- looking for these things, we're not, uh, we're not looking to say that a revival happens and therefore all our problems go away as though, you know, every single person in the church is not going to, um, is, is not going to ha- uh, be unconverted. Right. That, that, there, there will still be like a mixture of wheat and tares, right? But the point is, is the Lord working in such a way that the, that the name of God of Christ is exalted, that the Bible is made much of, that there's evident um, repentance from sin, and and a man of, and a um, yeah, some of these marks are are what we're looking for, things that that. Um, the, would be more the other way would be something like just the emotion 
just the um, just the excitement, right? That not to say that that can be that is bad in of itself or good in itself. The point is that 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 could be generated by God, right? But things like actual repentance, actual con confession of sin, actual um, exaltation of Christ—these are these would be different things. Yeah, I, I mean, just to speak to the issue of emotions, uh, because this is a off-pitting for a lot of a lot of people to, when they see emotions. Um, and I'll qualify this in a second by reading something else. But this is this is uh, uh, from that book, uh, The Revival of Religion. And not to be mistaken uh, or confused with the revival of religion by Charles Finney. This is the one by the Scottish ministers. Hmm. So he writes, some will say uh, that this says nothing to the agitation. So he was speaking of agitation as a way of describing the emotions and even bodily convulsions. So we, they were seeing uh, bodily convulsions in some of the revivals, um, which sometimes accompany a revival. This is what he said. Why the wonder is that these should occur so seldom. When we think of eternity, of all its interests, bursting on the astonished soul, bursting on it all unprovided, the wonder, I say, is that any assembly can at any time hear and think of these things without agitation. To complain that such agitation leads to tears and outcries is to complain that we are human beings. Hmm. So, you know, on one hand, yes, the emotions by themselves do not, do not, uh, um, tell us that this is a revival or anything is a revival, but we should expect that when God steps down, there will be plenty of emotions and many of them uncomfortable for us, especially if we're inclined to be stiff when we gather for worship. There's, there's going to be, uh, as people are responding to, on one hand, conviction of sin, on the other hand, uh, overwhelmed with the love of God shed abroad on their hearts and, and the knowledge of sins freely forgiven, there's going to be uh, ecstasy as well. Um, but I, I thought connected to that, that I'd read something else that uh, Richard Owen Roberts said. He said, uh, so this then gets into more what we need to look for in discerning a revival. When revival comes, an intense spirit of conviction will be felt immediately. Conduct that has always seemed acceptable will appear unbelievably wicked. Prejudices that have characterized professing Christians for decades will be revealed for the grievous sins they are. Private indulgences upon which a person has looked with favor for years will suddenly seem to merit all the wrath of God poured out forever. Prayerlessness, ignorance of scripture, sins of omission and failure in good works will no longer be defended by excuses, but will be laid open before the God with whom we have to do. I think the thing, the two marks that I personally would be looking for and, and, and waiting to see in, in this case, the setting that we've been talking about a little bit tonight is, is there a real profound conviction of sin? Hmm. Uh, and is there a related uh, change so that there is fruit? And by fruit, I mean, yes, secondarily conversions, but first holiness. Hmm. So sin, people are convicted of sin. There's a real tremendous sensitivity to the holiness of God, to the law of God, and an awareness, a keen, keen awareness of how far we have fallen short and awareness of our own sinfulness and particularly specifically, and then turning from those sins, forsaking them and living differently. So mm -hmm. if, if sin is, is still tolerated, that's a sure mark that mm -hmm. it's not revival. Amen, brother.
And um, I think that that um, if we would if we would think about that, even just that, I remember listening to one sermon you preach, which which had a, a big impact on me, where you talked about um, uh, ten sins of the church. I'm trying to think of exactly what the title was, but uh, you were you were um, yeah, you're talking about the need of the hour, and you're talking about these particular sins that were that were respectable in the church, that were tolerated, and that were grievous to the Lord, right? And uh, as you, as you were going uh, through some of them, just the sins like pride, sins like casual lying, sins like um, you know, uh, in in the homes, uh, the the fathers not not leading and and. Um, not leading their 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 homes and family worship, right? I think that that uh, the the issue is that sometimes the the sin becomes a very general thing, and something that is not ver- taken very seriously because of the sensitivity is just not there, right? Our to, our hearts and our consciences are not tuned by the Word of God to see it as as heinous as it is, and so and so it becomes just something that is just part of the uh, of our lives, right? And um, yeah, I, th- I think that you know probably in, in many reformed churches here in uh, here in Canada, right? They, probably most pre- preachers will hear if they talk too much about sin, they'll hear if they talk too much about about the law of God and, and holiness, um, rather than to, than uh, being told that you don't talk enough about these things. We need to know more about about how evil sin is and how we can, we can apply these things. Um, I think that, that's certainly the way I see things. Yeah. A mark, a mark of our self-centeredness and selfishness is that uh, we prefer to hear how God benefits us. And we, we often cloak that in the language we want gospel centered preaching, which is what we're often saying is we want to hear a message that uh, will uh, suit my own particular needs and desires rather than wanting to hear about what God desires, God deserves. There's a, there's a human, uh, a human centered way in which we have, uh, we, we are, have become in a sense consumed with ourselves and, and um, I, I think I think it is uh, uh, particularly prevalent in even our conservative evangelical reformed churches, where what we want to hear is, and we it's, it sounds quite right to have gospel-centered preaching, of course, but often what we're saying is we want to have preaching that every Sunday tells us once again that our sins are forgiven, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we don't want to hear about uh, God and what he deserves. That would be too troubling. Um, mm. And, and, and that's selfishness. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that brother. And I think that the, the danger would, would be that you raise even a group of people who, who ostensibly are a foreign ostensibly would come in the tradition of the Puritans and, and the second reformation men in Holland and at the same time, ultimately, what they what they have a palate for is preaching that that only exalts Christ because of His favors to men, and not for Him Himself. Right. Mm-hmm. So the actual right. the actual Christ, yes, in in His um, in His 
wonderful grace towards sinners, right? In the righteousness of Christ and in the, that he gives to us by faith and in his, his death for us on the cross. Right. But if, if, if that doesn't bring us unto a real encounter with the, with the Christ who now will separate us unto himself as his bride, right. Cleansing mm -hmm. us with, with the water of, of his word and, and spirit, then, then it's a truncated gospel, right? We, we need right. to to hear of not only of his favors, but of he himself, right? And if 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 we have, if we hear of him he himself, right, and and we and we genuinely yearn for that to to know he himself, then there there has to be change in our life. It has to be that our priorities are different. Um, right. And and I think that that people people settle. They settle for this is this is how far we're going to get in our Christianity. It factors into our life. It's, it's, it's good. Yes, it's important. But um, I, th I think the Lord would have us, have us know so much more. Certainly God's grace is, is undeserved and, and comes to us freely. And, and we glory in that rightly, but God's grace is accomplishes something miraculous and, and that is sometimes underestimated. It was underestimated uh, and misunderstood in Whitfield's day. And I think in our day, again, that uh, the miracle that God does in the hearts of men and women and children uh, when he makes them born again is like no other miracle uh, under heaven. Uh, that God takes somebody who is in the world, loves the world, hates God, and make them to live in the world as if not in the world, to love God, to love his commandments. And, and uh, that, that is a miracle like no other. And, and so on one hand, yes, the gospel is free. It comes to us at no price. But what it does is make a man completely different. And the very first thing it does is it makes him to be somebody who loves the Lord and desires for his glory. Hmm. Amen, brother. Well, I want to, to sort of be um, directing this, this discussion towards um, what, are, what, you, what we think our, our readers should do with it. Obviously, uh, we think this is important. It's important that there be a felt need for revival, but also that there, um, that there not be a, a quenching of, of the spirit. I just want to read um, one uh, verse from Isaiah 57, verse 15, and maybe this will help direct us towards some some concluding applications and thoughts here. So Isaiah 57 and verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And that was on my heart, especially last week, but uh, when I was thinking about some of these things, which is that um, I think one of the things that quenches the spirit is is that high and lofty heart, that that prideful heart that simply doesn't doesn't yearn for the Lord, right? That thinks thinks we're we're fine as we are. And um, like I love the Reformed faith, I love the Reformed doctrines, I believe in in Reformed worship. Uh, but I think that if I, as I know my own heart and I know, know I think the, the reformed uh, world a little bit, one of the things we, I think we so have to guard is a spirit of pride in, in our own tradition, in our own background or in our own gifts or, 
or whatever, that if, um, if there's anything that would grieve the Lord, right, it would be that talk of revival would be an occasion to say, we're the ones who have our act together because we're the, you know, we're the heirs of the true revivalists or we're, uh, we're the ones who can discern the true, the true from the false, right? If any of the, we have any of that, it's of the Lord, but B, it, that's, um, it can come with a spirit that's very displeasing to the Lord. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I wonder if you've had the experience I have where I'm going to one assembly of believers preaching the word there and it's, and it, uh, it, it seems to um, almost drop like blocks of ice. It just, mm -hmm. it doesn't, uh, it's not met, met with a warm reception at all. And then to take the same message and preach it to another assembly of people and it's taken in with such uh, joy and uh, eagerness. Um, obviously, we are not infallible. We can make mistakes as we discern those kinds of things. But um, I have been amazed at times in some circles where there is very little knowledge, very little doctrinal understanding, but there's a humility there. And, and the Lord seems to delight in that. Uh, and we know he does. We know that he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So there is a, there's definitely a danger there. I think if, if we look at this, uh, we look at what's happening in a place like Asbury and we, we decide that um, because they don't fit our doctrines, and I don't mean by that, that uh, I'm not suggesting that we're going to be okay with heresy, rank heresy but because they're not Calvinistic, for example, that therefore uh, it, it cannot be of God. Um, that in and of itself um, speaks volumes of where we are at ourselves. Um, yeah, ab absolutely, brother. And, and they're called the doctrines of grace. They're called the doctrines of grace because if anything, they, they teach us that there's nothing in us to boast, nothing in us that can glory. And, and then how, how, how terrible is the heart of sin that will you take even that and use it as an occasion to look down on others, right? I mean, uh, for myself, I didn't always know the Reformed faith, didn't always know Reformed doctrine. Um, and so uh, whenever I see that in my heart, right, where, where I'm looking down on others who, who don't have the doctrines correct, right? Then, uh, that that needs to go right. If anything, they need our love more. They need our patience more, and yeah, certainly our correction. But if they if the correction comes with a spirit that we have it figured out, and um, yeah, and we're we're just the the best thing on two feet, then it's 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 not going to come with the Lord's blessing. I don't believe because, as you say, the Lord resists the proud, and even I think we know in our we know in our own experience that when people come come to us with that attitude, it, do, it doesn't do it one bit of good, right? They need to see that we we love them and we yearn that that uh, that they would know the same God we do in the same way we do. And if there's and if they sense that we're lifeless, right? If they sense that we don't have anything to give them other than just you know some old books, then then uh, that's no good either, right? The reality is that we can't just have these old books, right? We can't. With all, with all the doctrines and the creeds, they can be as good as they as they are. But I re, I really believe that that um, if if there's anything good in them, right, it comes from this fact. It brings us more to hate our sin, to glory in Christ, and to and to actually put these things into practice. Yeah.
That's right. That's right. Um, if I may say, you know, as, as we look at, um, I think as we think about revival and trying to assess and discern whether something is a revival, there's there's two things perhaps worth considering. Um, one is, and this is this uh, an old minister, um, well, from the 1840s, <laughs> made this this recommendation. He said we need to be careful not to be overly cautious. Hmm. So discernment is important. I've, uh, but not to be overly cautious. Uh, there is a ten. There's always every time there's been a revival, there's been um, a, a rush to. There's been a rush to criticism. A lot of critics. The other thing is, is that um, if if it is a genuine move of God, we need to be looking for fruit. There should be fruit. And and it is a bit concerning to me that there has been uh, so much. Uh, uh, well, there's been. It's been good to see that the, the praying, the worship, there should be much more. Um, I'd like to see much more preaching. Um, I'd also like to uh, see some solemnity, uh, solemnity in the worship. Uh, one of the marks that uh, Sprague speaks of in his book, Lectures on Revivals, is the the uh, way in which revival upon revival is uh, marked by a tremendous solemnity in the presence of God. And that's not necessarily stiffness, but it's it's a, a sense of gravity um, before God, um, solemnity, and um, also the the, um, the the fruit of holiness. That uh, sin of all kinds would be hated, and and people turning away from those sins and following God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, and so, for example, some of the, the criticism of this revival that, that I've seen uh, would be, well, look at uh, this particular notorious sin that is evident in this particular individual who's affiliated with the with the movement. Right. Well, uh, sin is never to be tolerated. We've already we've, we've talked about this, but it, it is a. Um, it is uh, an evangelical seminary that that is trending liberal, trending woke, trending um, trending tolerant towards LGBT and and some of these other things, and so uh, the, those are serious problems. There, there are serious problems, and we don't and certainly I don't minimize them. At the same time, the question is if the if uh, revival is is happening there if there is a spirit of, of the lord then one of the the fruits we would hope would be that th those people who are zealous for the lord's honor and praise will seek to confront error beca because it is dishonoring to the lord and, and will seek to confront ungodliness and to deal with it in themselves and others in their own institutions in a, in a way that is um that is biblical that is a fruit that we yearn for that, that no one no one would would I, I think speak otherwise. Um, how, however, it it is only early days. A, yes. and yeah. and and B, I I also think that that if if we're to be an assistance to to a work of God, right? I think they need to see that it's it's coming from a heart that means they're good, right? So we we yearn for the salvation of homosexuals. We yearn for the salvation. Of others in notorious sins, people who, who in other ways are are not um, bringing solemnity and, and glory to God in their worship, but it's not because we we uh, were opposed to revival. 
That's right. And I expect that uh, if it is uh, a work of God, uh, a genuine, what we would say, a genuine revival, um, we can give God the credit and the glory for any movement at all that is happening there. But if this is a revival, then we can expect that those issues will be sorted out. Um, it, I remember the revival that I heard about where the the uh, people flocked to the police station because the man there was a God-fearing man. They knew that, and they needed to go to somebody to confess their sin. Um, uh, in, in, in revival, people cannot bear their sin. There's a, so I expect that uh, if God is indeed reviving his people, that uh, the things that are now being talked about as problems will get sorted out. And if they're not, if, in, if we find in time that um, um, it stays on the surface and, and peters out, then, um, well, it, it's something else. And we can thank God for anything that is of, for him and his glory. Um, but yeah. then we would just admit that it's not revival. Yeah. I think those are wise words, brother. I wonder if you would uh, conclude our talk with, with two, two things. One is you've mentioned a number of books. I wonder if maybe you could list those books that you've mentioned and any others that, that really are important for us to be re, uh, reading as, as we, we think about these things. And uh, after that, just wondering if you would uh, leave our um our audience was a practical ex exhortation of what they should do with, with this uh, subject. Sure. Well, um, there's, I, I brought actually four with me. Um, so the one I mentioned is um, uh, lectures on revivals. Uh, unfortunately it doesn't have a nice cover on it, but uh, lectures on revival by WB Sprague uh, is a classic. It's an excellent resource. Um, revival by Brian Edwards uh, is a tremendous book on revival, very accessible. Um, the, the one I said that uh, is sort of the, in my opinion, the best uh, money can buy, The Revival of Religion. Um, this is an old banner of truth uh, print, and um, it, is, it is out of print, but copies can be found. And then uh, Revival by... Richard Owen Roberts. So those are the sort of my my top four at the moment. Uh, I think they're great resources for such a time as this. And uh, to answer the second your second uh, request or question, um, I think based on what we've talked about together, my hope and prayer is that if even one person watched this and were to feel uh, a conviction that revival is indeed needed uh, that they would then begin to cry out to God for it. Uh, so often what has preceded revival, though God is sovereign in this as anything else and can come and go as he pleases, that uh, so often it has been the prayers of God's people that have preceded revival. Um, so one of the unique revivals that took place in New York City uh, is a beautiful book uh, called The Power of Prayer by, I think it's Prime, P-R-I-M-E. And, and a group of people began meeting in, in a business. So they weren't even meeting in a church. It was just this group of people. So day after day, they would meet there. And, um, and as they did so, God came down. And the revivals spread across uh, large parts of the United States. Um, another revival where a group of young people 
uh, went off into the mountains to pray and revival came. Or the, my favorite story, this, these two elderly widows who did resolved, they looked around at what was happening in the community and the church, and they were just heartbroken about the conditions. And so they resolved that they would meet together twice a week and pray all through the night and uh, seek God for revival. And uh, their prayers were answered and, re and God stepped down. Uh, so um, we have not because we ask not. The promise is asking you will receive. Uh, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. So uh, if, if we are convicted that revival is necessary, if it's needed, if in our day it is particularly needed, then let's begin to seek God for it and cry out to him. And, and, and uh, if, if Asbury can be anything at all, may it be that it would prick the hearts of God's people. We would look at that and there would be stirred in us something of a holy uh, jealousy. Uh, even if we could look at it and see that it's not all that it ought to be, that we would look there and say, okay, here's a people hungry for God. Oh, that we had that same hunger among us. Oh, that we ourselves uh, would, in our, with our sound theology and our knowledge of God, would then take hold of him, stir ourselves to take hold of God in prayer. That's a wonderful note to, to end on, brother. And I think this is so important and it might be, be worthwhile revisiting it at some point. But um, I think we'll leave it there for now. Where can people uh, read uh, some of your uh, articles on the internet? Uh, it's, a, it's a mouthful. Uh, CanadaRevival.blogspot.ca Very good. So I encourage people to look at that resource and... Um, Thank you so much for joining uh, me, Pastor Steve Richardson. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Until next time, uh, brothers and sisters, God bless you. And let us hear this exhortation to pray much for these things.